Uh, okay, so Ephesians 5. Um, I, I'm not going to do a big group for this one. I just want you to turn to your partner, and I want you to think, what is something that you had to give up because it was taking too much of your time? So this is going to be one that you'll probably be like, I hate to admit it, but I was playing Candy Crush a little too much, <laughs> you know. So that's why it won't be big group, but, you know, uh, so just somebody next to you. If there's three of you, you just say whatever it is. And we won't say now unless you really want to, like, be like, I really should start giving up this. But um, And some will be like, really? You know, because that's kind of sometimes how we look at others, you know, waste of time, but our own. So what's something that you gave up in the past that you were like, it was kind of just taking up too much of my time? So... You gave up everything. What's that? No, you share with each other. You share with each other. Yeah, you share with each other. Turn it on, yeah. So someone will be like, oh, I know you. You're my, yeah. My wife? All right. Well, then go, you know. <laughs> Something in your past. You've never given up anything? Because it was taking up too much of your time. You were like, you know, I probably have to cut this out of my life. <laughs> Troy was asleep. Was that was that you were trying to give up? You were like, it's taking too much of my For me, it was making beer, but I'm not going to say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it taking too much of your time? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I gave up. I gave up. Uh, I gave up watching NASCAR uh, because I was like, you know, it's just too many hours to like spend on a Sunday. Um, but uh, there was a couple years that I was like, followed everything, and it was like, you know what? I don't need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's painful. All right, all right, that's enough. Uh, that's enough. That's enough. So, um, I'm sh- I'm sure if you kind of like did an inventory or like there was like I mean for me I can always like list like I, I gave up that I gave up that I gave up that what's the thing that I need to give up now um, but some things that like I gave up as a waste of time might be something that like it's not a waste of time for you so that's why I was like you guys just share with each other um, but then there's other things that you're like yeah probably should uh, should give that up and again not like necessarily I mean it could be it was unhealthy it was immoral it was unfruitful all of that more like I just kind of wanted to think like as far as you know what was like not redeeming and we'll we'll uh it's particularly from a time how much time you were devoting to it that it could be devoted to other things um anyway we'll get to this uh some in some part in just a little bit if we get to it hopefully we will otherwise my connection is lost. But um, anyway, last time we met, thank you so much, Greg, for uh, filling in last week um, for me. Uh, two weeks ago, we were looking at Philippians 2, um, and uh, kind of titled that, When Giving Up is Gain. And we looked at uh, Christ, right, as um, as kind of our example of humility, that we were supposed to put, uh, you know, place others above ourselves. And it was Christ who gave up his position and status and, you know, his uh, place in um, heaven to become a man. And so Paul wanted us in the Christian community to be united. And so how can we be united? Well, we can look to Christ. We can allow the Holy Spirit to help us not to grumble and dispute. Those were kind of particular things we looked at uh, last time and do the work really that the Lord sets before us. And so that was, that was uh, in chapter two of Philippians. And so um, that's really kind of the, the thought that you know, Paul wanted us to look at Christ's example, um, and then even the example of his ministry companions, when we think about what this idea of 
those that are in our midst and how can we humble ourselves and, and put others before ourselves. Again, for what was the, the whole reason for that is he wanted them to be united as a church. And so here in Ephesians, um, you know, when Paul wrote Ephesians, he wrote it at the same time um, when he was in prison in Rome. I think maybe somebody had asked me last week and I said it wasn't when he was in Rome. I was looking ahead at like First and Second Timothy, which was at a different prison. So he was in Rome, uh, the you know Roman prison when at the end of Acts. So there's several imprisonments that he's had. Um, but uh, anyway, so he's kind of in the same situation, right? The same prison when he's writing these letters. And so you're going to see certain themes that come out in Ephesians um, and a similar emphasis. And so. They, again, not only have the same background of where Paul is writing it from, um, but also the same, the same context of Paul's ministry and what he's trying to do amongst the churches. Uh, in Philippi, right, you know, he went to Philippi. There were those that were converted. We talked about that last time. Um, then he was thrown in jail. Similarly, when he was in Ephesus, uh, he, you know, those people were converted. He just spent a lot longer when he was in Ephesus because he wasn't thrown in jail, although he did leave because he caused turmoil, similarly as in Philippi within the city. Um, but instead of being, you know, apprehended and thrown in jail, uh, a riot ensued and the people were like, do not go out there. And so, um, he made his, you know, he thought maybe now is a good time to leave. But Paul spent two years in Ephesus, where he probably only spent a few weeks in Philippi. So you got again, kind of have a little bit different uh, tone to the letter and the things that he was saying. Um, and so, uh, let's jump into chapter five and then kind of get a little bit of the context, you know, just from the setting of where we are at in chapter five. And so Paul, in, in just verse one and verse two, we read, therefore. Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, so right there again in, in the beginning of verse you know, 1 of chapter 5, we see this idea of, of therefore. And whenever you hear therefore, it's right as an explanation or even as a as a, almost like an emphasis. Okay, so you heard this, now what? Um, so almost kind of speaks to a little bit of like action. And if you look at even just using that word, therefore, uh, he uses it mostly in Ephesians compared to some other books and most, mostly in chapter five. So we see kind of like a lot of like, okay, because of the things I've told you, you know, here's what I want you to do. He only uses it once in chapter one, twice in chapter four, two times in chapter six, but he does it five times in chapter five. So it's kind of like, again, where he wants us to, to land. And so as kind of the old adage that you've probably heard a, a, a preacher say is, you know, what is the therefore, therefore, right? It goes back to like what was said before. And so I just want to kind of do a quick like cursory, you know, look at what chapter four of Ephesians is. And we're going to see, you know, some similarities to, um, you know, what uh, what we saw in um in Philippians. So if you look at the beginning, verse one of chapter four, he says, I therefore, that's one of the couple times he says it uh, in chapter four. So therefore what? Well, before that, in chapter three, he said he's he's praising God and he's he's really going back like if we went to to verse 15 and 16, or we'll go back to 14 in chapter 3. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all saints that is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So there you kind of pause back and you see like, because of, you know, I want you to know Christ's love. And I really like want Christ's love to be like a part of who you are to understand it. And if you know Christ's love, then here's all the things that are going to flow out of Christ's love. And so verse, you know, chapter four, if you even see the heading, 
don't know what your heading says in another version, but in the ESV it says unity in the body of Christ. There's that idea, again, of unity. And uh, verse 4 of chapter 5, right, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So he says, because of these things, right, you have like one Father, so you have, you know, one purpose. And now I want you to be not only like your mind to be set on what that is, but your hearts. Like, and so again, I want you to love as Christ loved. And so how is that going to happen, right? Um, he says in verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, and so again, you have all these different positions, uh, that were given to the church, again, distinct roles, um, some overlapping roles, but I think more so, like they're not all one role. I mean, he does name them in different different categories. We'll talk about this um, in a couple weeks when we look to 1 Timothy and we look at kind of elders and, and you know, what that looks like. But um, again, you have different roles that have one commonality of building up everyone to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so, again, the teaching, right, is supposed to, again, have us be of one purpose, of one community, and then this idea what roots us and bonds us together is love. He even says that in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From the whole body is knit together and equipped, and, and again, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. All of these things kind of work together to kind of draw us together and pull us together as a church. That's again from prison. Paul's like, man, I spent two years just pouring into you. And this is, you know, you're a good church and this is like what I want for you, that you will still be united. And even though I'm not there, there are other leaders that are there that are striving for this purpose. We go down to verse 30 of chapter 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for all the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. Similar things that you hear, you know, that he was saying to the Philippians, although a little bit different. Um, but that's kind of like what he again wants them to uh, have as their their heartbeat and their desire. Especially like it's one thing to keep your eyes on Christ, but now uh, look to your left and look to your right. How do you survive with everybody else in the room? And so, well, it's through love. That's how that's how we're we're going to do it. And so, before he te- he hits that idea, <clears throat> he says in right chapter five. Therefore, so therefore, I want you to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so that's where, you know, Paul is wanting the action to, to look, right? Again, to be united um, with one another, to be imitators of God. And so um, he then says, I want you to walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up. So does, does that admonition, right, to say to be an imitator of God and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up, does that seem a bit too intimidating? All you got to do is just be like God. All you got to do is give up as Christ gave up. How do we assimilate that into our hearts and our minds and our lives, that thought and that understanding? Yeah. <clears throat> and so to be imitators of God, right, is is all encompassing, right? Jesus said that. Um, you know, all you gotta do is be like the Father. You know, perfect, like your father Father in heaven is perfect. You're like, well that seems easy, right? <laughs> easy to say, but not easy to do. So is it intimidating? Yes. And I think that's kind of the point, right, that Paul is, you know, calling 
Christians, not only, you know, Greg, as you were saying, to something that is all-encompassing, but, you know, um, bigger than just a little bit of, you know, the, the normal everyday tasks that we are, you know, called to do. There's something that is not to be taken lightly. And so we're going to get to the to Christ's demonstration in love more when we get to the end of the chapter. And... Uh, but probably that'll be for, for next week. And so what Paul is saying is, right, how, do, how are you going to be united in love and forgive one another? Well, like, first we need to have an aspiration of, you know, what we are looking towards. Like, you have to have a goal. You have to have something you're trying to achieve. Um, otherwise, you know, you're just living in the moment. And we're going to see why that's not, you know, uh, what we're called to live as Christians. Even as humans, I would say, we have this kind of idea that we should be called to something bigger and better than ourselves. Just people label that with the wrong thing. And so we should aspire to, to Christ because our role models on earth often fall short. And so in verse 3, he then kind of like goes from what we aspire to to then what are the things that we should stay away from. And he says in verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, we'll pause right there. So again, Paul is turning again from what, you know, who we should aspire to, and then to what we should turn away from, and just kind of, you know, a category would just be baseless sins. And so he, you know, sometimes he lists a whole lot of, lot of sins. Uh, when we were in Romans 1, he, you know, categorized a whole lot of different things. And we, we talked about them in 1 Corinthians, the same thing. Now he just kind of like names a few things in kind of big category, categories. And so the first one is sexual immorality. And so, and again, this word has come up in multiple times. As you probably have heard, you know, what this word is, is porneia, is sexual sin. The, the root word is where you get the person who is a prostitute, um, sometimes uh, translated as a harlot. But that's a person, again, if you kind of just step back and think like, well, what is the idea that is coming out of that? And so, you know, this idea of sex as being um, something that is not a gift of God, but turned into something as a commodity. And if you kind of think like back in Ephesus, um, you know, they would have, you know, cult practices. You had the, you know, the temple to um, Diana that was there that almost, you know, really was what caused the riot is because people thought that they were losing money because they would sell these idols, um, uh, to their God that they worshiped, to the big temple that was there was, you know, one of the wonders of the world that people would come to. And Paul and his Christianity were pulling people away from worshiping our idols and we're losing money. And so, but a part of like those cult practices, right, was this idea of, of, um, temple prostitutes and even this, you know, that was kind of wrapped up into all of that. So it might be kind of like what Paul is specifically getting at, you know, for them being an emphasis. But again, I think for us as well, because it's not the only thing, the only time we see this term. Um, when we see this term, when we looked at Acts 15 uh, and the Jerusalem Council said, hey, you know, we don't require um, the Gentile converts to be circumcised. Um, again, that was kind of the whole idea. We, we talked about what that looked like. But they did say, hey, here's a couple things that you should stay away from. And so one of them, you guys remember one of those, had to do with kind of dietary restrictions. Yeah, keep away from things that have been strangled, right? You know, so the idea of like, you know, like dietary restrictions. Um, so food, like just be mindful that there, there are Jews uh, that don't eat what you eat. And so if you abstain from those, at least, at least in a public setting, um, that would be something to like win over uh, people who would separate you immediately. That was one. And the other one was sexual morality. And it was just kind of like, 
those seem kind of odd. Um, and we talked about that a little bit. But I think, again, as you kind of look at that, right, so that's not only just like Gentiles in terms of Jews, but Paul is speaking to, again, this, you know, this church is, you know, is that is if it's being a practice uh, among you. And I think like probably the whole temple prostitute thing, you could look at a little bit in the sense of like, you know, well, how does that fit within a Christian context? Is it people who are still engaged in these practices? And I think, again, that's kind of maybe an, an easy way, to, way to, to look at that. But I think just, again, more widespread is this idea of in the culture, if this is a part of your culture. And I think, again, that helps us to understand it as it fits within our culture as well. Um, this was part of the issue. We talked about it a little bit when we talked about Philippians and how do you place others above yourself is the sin between Adam and Eve, right? What was the contention that was between those two? Especially Eve, that he, he said, you know, you will have a desire for, to what? To rule over your husband, right? And so to rule over your husband, and when we think about kind of that idea of, again, like submissiveness, and we'll look, about, look at this again in more detail um, next week, but this sin of sexual immorality is to, again, take people and to not look at them as um, made in the image of God, but as like means to an end and to be a commodity. And you just see that in our culture, right? That's kind of like how TV shows, again, you know, objectifying women is kind of like usually like the sin of, of you know, hundreds of years, but it's kind of on both sides of the, the aisle, right? And so uh, you not only have the bachelorette, but you also have the bachelor, right? And if you kind of think of like, again, just like how our culture promotes these things and things that like, you know, 50 years ago, I mean, my son was asking me questions like as we're, you know, drive into a, a wrestling tournament that he was in. But, like, he's asking things that, like, like that we're dealing with now that it was like, yeah, I, like, we didn't deal with that in high school. And not that, like, things were innocent in high school by any means, definitely not, but you're like, yeah, we just didn't, like, it just wasn't a thing. Um, he was like, well, when was it a thing? And I'm like, I feel like it was, like, a thing, like, five years ago, you know. Um, I mean, really, like, certain things are coming fast and furious, and you're like, it's just, like, bizarre right and so um and so why did that happen is really kind of this sin again is like is is how are people are again are not treated as people but as again issues or means to an end or a way to get an agenda passed or something like that and so that whole thing right what was the you know again the prostitute was not like a woman to be loved it was again a person to get a uh, sin gratified through. And that has a whole lot of context within our culture, and it did at that day. And so Paul points that out, this sexual immorality. And we could spend all morning talking about that. Some of you are like, thankfully we won't. Um, but, right, these are things that are, are increasing, and it's, it's only going to get worse. Like, it's like, I don't know, like, if five years ago certain things just weren't a thing, like, in five more years, what's going to be the thing that wasn't a thing now? And you're like, I don't know. But Lord help us. So, so Paul says, Maranatha, like, please return. Um, and so uh, he, he names sexual morality. The second thing he says is impurity, which is almost kind of a catch-all, right? So he names sexual morality because that would have been a thing. It would have been a thing that they would have understood in their context specifically, but probably, again, even just more widespread. And he uses this word impurity, which is really kind of like a, a, a negative word. Like atheist is, again, a not a theist. Um, and so it's similar to impurity is the word for clean, but not clean or spotless. So not spotless. So really anything that is staining morally is what Paul is getting at. Kind of a catch-all word, right? I said like sometimes Paul uses lists and kind of identifies certain things. Here, right, he doesn't use that. And so how should others in the culture see us as Christians? Okay. Okay. And so, and, and that's hard, right? And I'm going to use a different, different word. Um, but, you know, pure, blameless, but we would say, are we perfect? 
right? Because that ends up being like, well, you guys are hypocrites, right? Well, we're supposed, hopefully, we're supposed to be pure, but we do sin, and so we know we're not perfect. But one of the things that we should be is that Paul will use, we'll get to a little bit later um, in another study, is this idea of being above reproach. Something that's kind of labeled as like, this is like an elder should be above reproach, but we all should be above reproach, right? We're, 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 as we're striving to imitate Christ, like we acknowledge our sins, we seek to be forgiven, right? Because what does Paul say, right? You're forgiving others. So that means they are messing up. But there's this idea that we're striving for something better. We're striving for this spotlessness. We're striving for that. And so don't be caught in by this idea um, of what is immoral. So keep away from things that are staining you because that is how we should be looked at is above reproach. Unfortunately, we aren't. But it doesn't mean like, oh, well, like, Shrug your shoulders, toss your hands up, and just say, like, I guess I'll just join in. That's not what he's saying. And so that's what he wants us to kind of understand. Um, so we're to be different. We're to be different than the culture because we are in Christ. And then he throws out another word, this covetousness. And so covetousness might be translated as greed, and that's kind of the idea. It's like two words together, a great many and a to grab and to hold. So grabbing a hold of a lot of things is like almost more than you can handle, right? Like when is enough enough? That's the question. <laughs> um, when is like, you know what? I've made, I've made enough money. I think now I'm done making money, right? You know, sometimes like, like I don't even know what that number would be. I don't even know if like, you know, could you all sit and say like, once I achieve this, like then it's like, I'm done, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we're always kind of thinking in those terms of like, keep building, keep growing, keep, keep moving ahead. And so this idea though, where it becomes like all consuming is something that, you know, um, you know, Paul is warning about, right? And so, uh, why does he name this, you know, amongst believers, Yeah. And he repeats these sins like, you know, twice within this this uh, this paragraph. Um, and the second time, though, he says covetousness. He says that is idolatry. Right. And so he points out just again, the sin that Jesus had kind of, you know, mentioned. Right. You can't serve both God and money um, in these things. And so as believers, right, we live in a culture, we live, you know, surrounded by people um, that, you know, uh, glorify, that uh, raise up, that adore, you know, all of these different things. And he says, you need to be aware of these things. And so what does he say the remedy to this is? Yeah, right. So um, he says that Thanksgiving is kind of the remedy to several of these ideas. Actually, I guess skipped one, right? Probably a big one that was at the beginning of this. Um, what was the other thing that he kind of adds? So before Thanksgiving, so not only covetousness, but also what? What's that? Yeah. And he, yeah, it's just kind of like all, all these things, right, that he kind of talks about. Um, you know, he says that that it's a marker of kind of a corrupt culture. He says that it's out of place or it literally just doesn't belong. Um, you know, a culture of love, you know, uh, does not tear down. It builds up. And so, again, talking in a particular way, um, in, in the words that you say, in the words that you use, and he says, like, no filthiness. Um, does anyone have another... another uh, Translation for that word, for the first word in uh, verse four, obscenity. obscenity. Yeah, that's that's a better 
term for what he's talking about, like no filthiness, but really obscenities. Uh, foolish talk, right, is, is careless talk. Foolish is just stupid, right? The fool in, um, in uh, uh, Proverbs is kind of like, you know, so no obscenities, no kind of stupid talk or idle talk. You know, there's always things here like, yeah, I don't know why I said that. That was stupid. Or crude joking, right? Things that are, again, cutting down or pulling them out, right? Those things are out of place. They don't belong, particularly in the body of Christ. And again, that's like things are elevated, adored, revered. I mean, I just think of like how many things are now more accessible to us and to our kids that, you know, I'm like, that is just, you know, um, <laughs> is out of place. And, and that's just kind of the things that we see almost, you know, on a daily basis. It was one of those things that right um, when, uh, and I feel like, you know, Tim, you've, you've used this example, right, that uh, when, you, when you taught a few weeks ago um, was, uh, you know, the use of language that as a believer, right, it just is like, as an unbeliever, sometimes you don't even know how you speak. But then when you become a believer, like, you become convicted. And so that was one of the things for me is, like, when I became a believer, I was in a culture that, um, you know, used language. And I remember I was interviewing for a job uh, that was um, – I was talking to other guys that were my age. And I just remember in a phone conversation being aware of the language that I used – and it was almost like the absence of it. And it like that convicted me like right there. It was like, oh, um, maybe, you know, like and it was something like, I, you know, just was kind of like, I just need to stop this. And then, you know, we stopped. Right. Sometimes you get so immersed in it, you just aren't even aware of it. And Paul's saying, like, that's not the place we need to be as believers, because you don't stand out. You aren't distinct. You aren't somebody right above reproach that. People are looking to in a culture that is going sideways and that's going that is twisting things to their own ends, to their own gratification. And so he continues kind of this language, right? He says the the response to this is thanksgiving. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, so when putting these terms, you know, why would we want to be kind of partners with darkness, right? Because that's kind of that's kind of what he says. You know, uh, if I said, hey. Should you be a partner of light or a partner of darkness? I wonder if you even just ask, like, the, you know, person off the street. You want the dark side or the light side? You know, some people like that, you know. But um, I, I think most people, like, gravitate towards, like, being a good person. I'm not evil. I'm not, you know, whatever. But, you know, even as believers, you know, Paul says there's this temptation, right? Do not become partners with them. Verse 8, for at one time you were in darkness, but you are light in the Lord. So why would Paul kind of admonish or say kind of do not become partners with those that are disobedient, with those that are in darkness? What's that? Yeah. Let's go a little bit more. So one is influence, but why would we be influenced? What's that? Okay. Wait, wait, keep going with that. Keep going with that. We see. Okay. Yeah. And so when he puts it in those terms, it's like, well, I'm not in darkness, but like if, if slowly, you know, the lights kind of faded, you know, went down and down and down, right? You know, so it's right when you go out in the darkness, when I say darkness, you go out, you know, at night, right? Can you see very well? No, but then our eyes kind of adjust and we get used to the darkness. And then when the lights come on, you know, right, it's blinding to us. And so... Little by little, in these subtleties, there's ways that we get kind of pulled in. Why do we get pulled in? It can be a matter of convenience, right? When you say convenience, I'm thinking of a couple ways. I didn't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. Well, what I'm thinking is that it's sometimes just easier not to. Sometimes 
dark, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but a dark if the culture doesn't know God. And so sometimes it's uh sometimes if you're gonna be a person of light, whether it's in your language or your activities or what or your routine or whatever, that's gonna put you at odds. Yeah. Yeah, and we're to be in the world, but not of the world. But we are to be in the world, right? So Amongst maybe people. So maybe sometimes it's easier to not make waves. Exactly, right. So that's, that's what I was saying when you say convenience, right? Sometimes, like, to avoid conflict, right? Because with conflict, right, then you, you, you might upset somebody. And if you're trying to, you know... Um, build a relationship that ultimately would to be point people to Christ and they become upset and they, you know, that relationship is severed. So we have that tendency, right? There is that tension. Like, so how do we do that in a way, right? That is not offensive from you, but allowing the offense to be of Christ. And so sometimes we can kind of slip into that. Again, our culture is surrounded with that. So with the things that we see, the things that we view, the things that we take in, um, can be a slippery slope, and it's not like, <laughs> it can almost be a slippery cliff. Uh, maybe is, is kind of thinking of in the way that Kay was saying, is that we can just find ourselves in that. And so do not become partners with darkness, and Paul puts it in those, con- you know, those contrasting terms, right? There is a sometimes also a fleshly attractiveness of sin, um, and so Paul will say that, you know, it's a spiritual battle. And at the end of chapter 6, he's going to say, put on this armor, right? When you go out there to kind of be ready every day to not put your, let your guard down. So verse 10, what's the ultimate goal Paul is wanting them to aim at? Yeah, pleasing the Lord, right? And, and that discernment, right, of what is pleasing the Lord. And so... For some, right, it's probably not too hard to discern if you just said, well, was that, was that gratifying? And you're like, no, it wasn't, right? Was that pleasing to the Lord? Like, no, probably not. And so that's the discernment coming back full circle to what he said in verse 1 about imitating God. Imitating God and being like God is to discern what is pleasing to God and patterning your life again. And so you kind of then at this part in the, in the chapter, he's, you know, bring us back to aspirational again. Always like, keep away from this, but this is what we aim at. Don't do this, but this is what we should try to do. So how do we position ourselves within the culture? Verse 11, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, there's a lot there. So we'll start our best in the little bit of time that we have here. So, but first kind of question is, especially in light of of verse 11, can we be passive? No. Okay, and that's, you know, Paul wants us to understand. I think it's like, again, right, to maybe avoid some of the conflicts and the things that we, you know, might... um, become involved in, right? Paul says, you know, we take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Okay, so I must stay out of it. But what does he say? Expose them, okay? What's that? Engage. Engage, yeah. So...
<laughs> right. So it is hard to do, right? It, right, because you're being insensitive, right? And so, you know, but I think, again, you know, we need to be, to be firm. And so there's this idea, when, it, when he says this idea of exposing them, there's part, part of like that word is to scrutinize or to examine something. And so this idea of discernment is to like really like look at and to understand it. But then depending on the context, how that word is used, is to even go further is to then point out like not only like what you see, but make an evaluation on it. So to point out its rightness or wrongness about what those things are. So not only just like I see what it is and what's going on, but also then to expose it. And using that kind of words that he's using of darkness and light, like it can only be examined in the light and it can only be seen in the light. And so that's what, you know, Paul is trying to do. There's lots of things, again, you say like, well, why would that person say that? Or why, you know, why would this bill be passed, you know? Or why would this, you know, happen? Why would this company take this stance on this, you know, um, a, you know, item of agenda. And so it all comes down to like exposing some of those things and then even being able to point out, you know, what it is right or wrong. Remember Paul, when he addressed the sin that was going on in the Corinthian church, right? And he said, you know, there's a, a man among you who is having relations with his stepmother. And he's like, man, even, even the culture around you would say this is wrong. The pagans around you would say this is wrong. And it's happening within the church. Like, it's something like, you know, I'm exposing this to you. I'm calling this out because it's something like, hey, should not be happening. And how can you let it happen? And so in a culture of, of love in the church, right, sometimes this needs to be done is to expose a sin and point out it being wrong, right? To bring it to light, as Paul says, call it as it is. And so we, we just need to be able to call sin, sin. And Paul quotes uh, Isaiah 61, where he says, it's awake, O sleeper, right? There are those that are dead, let me look, sorry, right? Um, arise, o, uh, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so there's a couple, you know, ways to look at that. Like, what's the application of that, Right? One is to those that um, are in darkness already, but even those that may be slipping into darkness, right? And let the light of Christ shine on you. That's definitely a call for those that don't know Christ. But again, we are to not be a part of the darkness. It was really interesting as I, I was like preparing, you know, going through this uh, yesterday during um, while well, my son was, uh, was waiting for a wrestling match. And so there was this other wrestling match go on. And as I'm reading this verse, I'm hearing a mom next to me saying, wake up to her son. That was like the term she was using. I can't remember his name. You know, let's say Joe, you know, wake up, Joe. Like he was wrestling and she kept saying, wake up, wake up. Like, you know, to, because he was down points and it was like, Hey, snap out of it, get into it. And I was just was like, are you, are you like looking? I don't know. So that's right. Wake up, you know. And so, but what's that call, right? Is like snap out of it. Like you're losing. I don't know if you know this, like, you know, but get it together, pull yourself out of it. And I think in, in a large sense is like, I mean, we'd love to say that to unbelievers, like wake up, you're in sin. Don't you know that, you know, the wrath of God is upon you. I mean, so there's definitely a true part, but also for those as believers, right? That how, you know, what, what are the, um, the, you know, what are the consequences of the way that we live? And so then Paul says that we need to be careful how we walk. And so he spends a lot of time talking about that in different, different chapters. Um, so why do we need to be careful in our walk? Okay. Yeah, so there's, there, there's, there's one aspect of it, right? We are an example and our, our lives bear a testimony, right? So be careful how we walk for others. But then there's also be careful how we walk because, yeah, I mean, there's a reality of like, if you don't be careful, if you don't actually literally look and think about how you're walking, you can trip and you can fall and you can stumble. And so he kind of has, right, the, those that are in darkness, um, in John 1, John would say that there are those who love the darkness and they want to pull us into the darkness. Um, and so, you know, 
just as you think like you're in a bad area of town, you just need to be aware. You need to, you know, think like, what's going on? There was going to be a lot of that in the Roman Empire. Paul's probably talking to those people while he's in prison, um, you know, and uh, the people that he comes in contact with. But, but be important how you walk. And he gives kind of two ways that people walk. What are those two ways? The wise and unwise. He doesn't use the term good and evil. He uses wise and unwise. Why do you think he uses kind of those terms? We are evil by nature. Okay. Yeah, and we'll and we'll look at that, you know, what that looks like, you know, in more detail um, a little bit later. And so this echoes right the, you know, the words of Solomon, you know, in, in all of Proverbs, right? That wisdom shouts out from the street, and so like there are those that are wise and those that are foolish. And so, you know, you know Paul is saying, you know, the echoing that that the fool follows his own desires, and the the wise man, just as Randy said, follows the will of the Lord and what is discerning to what that will, the will of the Lord is. And he says that we want to make use, the best use of our time or literally buying up the season uh, that we're in. So why is making the best use of our time um, a critically important command? Yeah. Well, and, and some is more limited than others, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, again, Paul wants us to understand, right, is to uh, capitalize on that and to not waste it. And he says, therefore, and then uh, kind of talks in verses 17 and 18. We'll kind of, we'll kind of pause it right, right then and, to, uh, and, and to, to kind of wrap up where we're at. Um, verses 17 and 18, how are those two verses related? It says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, and he gives he kind of gives this example, and these are very like kind of like parallel verses, right? Do not be foolish, and he says, do not get drunk with wine. He's just giving an example of like what he's he sees as views as something that is foolish. Um, I, I was at a church, and I think the pastor spent four weeks on this verse about you know should uh, should a person drink or not and all of that, and it was like hyper focused. 
my very first assignment in seminary was come up with, um, it was a good exercise in observation. It was 30 observations on this verse alone. And I was like, got to like 10 and I was like, I feel like I'm done. <laughs> His, uh, I remember it was like, it was, uh, I mean, the, the professor is such a great man, but, um, he wrote, he wrote, you might do okay. Like wrote on like, that was like his, like the grade you might do. Okay. My very first assignment. And I was like, I might do. Okay. Okay. This is going to be a long road ahead. So, um, but I mean, it's it's hard to come up with thirty observations, and like this wasn't even one of them. Like maybe it's related to the first the verse before it. Yeah. 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 So we'll kind of come back to this a, a little bit, just kind of pick up and then and then move forward with it. Right. But and I think even like, you know, in my in my generation, when people uh, describe somebody who is drunk, they would say that they were wasted. Um, and I think that was like probably like a more appropriate term. Right. Like what a waste is kind of like really what Paul was saying, because, you know, he just can you can identify somebody, you know, um, that you see is drunk and, and not look in admiration, but just almost like, you know, w- what have they done with themselves, right? Um, it's a preoccupation that takes them away from knowing the Lord. When somebody is drunk, they're not praising the Lord. They're just stumbling over their own sin. And he could have p- pointed to a whole lot of things, but this was particularly one that it just seemed like an obvious illustration of those things. And so don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's kind of all those things that you can think about. Um, to redeem the time, what does that look like? Uh, and how can we walk as wise, but not unwise? And so we'll pull that again that together because that kind of thought is left a little bit hanging. Um, but even if you think about your own pursuits, uh, you know, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this wise? And what would be something that would be more fruitful? Um, Again, in the context, we got very like kind of personal in thinking about how this looks. But again, broadly, this is about how we are in the church or are we in the culture and how we love one another. And so I hope to kind of like bring that back together. But you can kind of like kind of think about those things, like how are those things related? But Paul is, again, very critical about how we, again, um, uh, interact with one another and love one another and are united with one another. And these are the things that kind of like break that apart. So more on that a little bit next week. So if you have any closing thoughts, questions, comments, you can direct them toward me or your neighbor or someone else. Write it in your diary or journal, but we're going to end there.